this is week 51 of a 52-week season two. I, I, I know, it's hard to believe. It's hard for me to believe. It really is. Like, it's genuinely hard for me to believe that we are at 51 weeks. Um, that I've been doing an episode a week for 51 weeks. Actually, to be honest, if you were around for the whole Capital Insurrection thing, I, I recorded an episode because I was just really impacted by that at the time. So 52 episodes already, um, 53 when we finish. And then we're going to take a break, and we've kind of already talked a little bit about that. And hang out. Stay tuned. There will be a Season 3 announcement probably dropping in August. So I'm looking at this moment. This journey I've been on for 52 weeks, 50 weeks now, 51 now, you know, whatever. This journey of a year and trying to think, what can I distill from it? What what can I figure out? What is there to take away? So at 51 weeks, I decided to look back over the 50 previous weeks and distill five lessons I learned. Just five Simple lessons that I learned or relearned or touched back on over the course of these 50 weeks. And I sat down, I spent some time with this, and I wrote, and I journaled, and I thought. And I figured out the five things, the five lessons I needed to learn. Now, these are not the five things every writer needs to know. These are the five lessons I had to learn. And it, it was important. It was important to me to learn these, these five things. I had to review them. I had to dive deep. I had to take time with them. So now, as, as we get ready to head to the end, which I guess is the ultimate what I learned over the course of the year, the penultimate lesson, I want to talk about these five lessons a little bit at a time for each one of them. So here we go. We're going to do the countdown. Right? I don't know if we're doing a countdown. I don't know if they're in any particular order. But these are the five lessons. Ready? Here we go. Lesson number one. Make room to be creative. Think about it. Make room to be creative. Right? Creativity is one of those things, right? And, and if you go to your average bookstore, you can find volumes and aisles of people that will tell you how to harness your creativity and, and this method will work and that method will work. And if you get really honest and you start talking to writers who've been in the trade for a while, they'll tell you whatever works, do that. Um, but there's always someone out there looking to make a buck, uh, someone out there with their process. And if you do their process, it'll work. And, and there are very few universal rules about creativity. But there is one that I found. There is one universal rule about creativity that I found that, that is undefeatable. I've defeated a bunch of others. Do you need to write your, your morning pages? Do you need to do that? Do you need to do this? I mean, I've debunked a ton for me. I am the exception to so many rules. And I know there are others just like me. But the one that I've never gotten away from is making room to be creative. The mind needs space to play. It needs space. If you're going to write a novel, you need a lot of time and a lot of mental room to do that. Shit, if you're going to write a poem, you need the mental room to do that. Right? To write something really great, to work on something really wonderful, to create something really worth creating, you need to provide yourself the mental space to do so. And making room to be creative is not something I'm super good at. 
right? There's a lot of reasons. Like this is where scheduling has become such an important thing that I've been working on for the better part of a year, like actually scheduling time and not looking at it as like, okay, here we go. These are the times in which I write and now I do the writing here. But realizing that if I cut myself three hours, four hours out of a given day to write, to work on writing, then that gives me a space when I know my brain can be free to work on it. And if I take time to come up with things to work on and to jot notes down throughout the day, then when I get to tomorrow's writing time, I have more stuff to go in so I can make even better use of that time. And then I start carrying a notebook around with me because, you know, there's always time to be creative, right? This is, this is the thing. If you want to be creative, if you want to create something, you have to make room for that to happen. You have to carry the notebook with you. You have to take the time. You have to doodle. You have to scribble little notes. It, it's, it's, it's totally, as, as I think I heard Chuck Palahniuk say this, it's shitting a lump of coal, right? Like you have to get that lump of coal. You can make a diamond later, but you got to get that lump of coal first. And we tend to want to romanticize and streamline and science-size. And, and, you know, there was the book Essentialism. And I've met writers who are like, well, I get it done to the essential categories. I, I've never been able to do it. If you can, God bless you. I've never been able to do it. I'm a collection of, of scattered post-it notes. Oh, my God, I think I wrote a note in that notebook over there about my novel. Let me go get it. Like, I struggle to get all my notes about my novel in the same fucking place. So, again, just make room to be creative, man. That's what I've learned. Like just however it works, keep a notebook on you. I have notebooks for going out. I have notebooks at the house. I have notebooks in every room, I think, in my home now. Um, I have one by the bed. I have one in my in, in a little writing nook. I have, I have one in my actual office. I have one in the living room. I don't know that I've put them in the bathroom yet, but now that I think about it, I probably should. Um, so there you go. That's That's the thing. It's just making room to be creative, right? Like it's, it's not about taking them. This is the thing I, I mistook that scheduled time to be creative. I took that as being like, I will force the creativity to happen. No, no, no. That's just reserving time to let creativity happen in that space. And you need that. You need that. So, so make the room to be creative. That's lesson one. It's the first lesson I learned over all these. It's good. Lesson two, reading is writing. Now I knew this one. This is one I had to be reminded of, right? I think we all have to be reminded of it a Reading is writing. If you are a writer who is any good at what they do, by my estimation, you have to read. Now, I take this from from marketing, where I have met copywriters who are like, I'm a brilliant copywriter, I convey great messages and everything else, and uh, yeah, I don't really read anything. And I'm telling you right now, um, they're never very good. I'm not kidding. They're not very good. It's really placid, really simple, really sterile stuff. And I can only imagine what it would be if they decided to do like creative nonfiction. Jesus. Reading is writing. Reading is exposing yourself to new influences. And, and for reading is writing stuff, let me put this out even further. You have to expand what you're reading to things beyond your comfort zone. This is kind of a really American problem, right? We like to be comfortable. And in a market that wants to sell us whatever will fill that comfort void, we read those things, right? We go, oh, I like these kind of books, so I will just read these books. I worked at a bookstore for a while, and, and I saw that a lot. Customers were like, I like to read this. What is like this? And that's fine. But I think if you're going to be a writer, if you're going to be creative, you have to break out of that shell, right? I think of all the really great writers I've read over the years, like Juno Diaz and all, who who I did not come to Juno Diaz going, man, I bet I'm going to love this. And to be fair, like if you've ever read some of Juno Diaz's books, like Drown, 
it's not an uplifting novel. It's really not like it's it's you're you're slogging through those first those first chapters. Like you are. Hell, I love Vonnegut. And some of Vonnegut's books are just like, oh, the world sucks. Oh, the world sucks. That's that's a thing. That's a real thing. Um yeah, I mean, you know, reading is writing, exposing yourself to other writers, learning other techniques, even if they're learning techniques so you can dislike them, right? Like you're allowed to like, let's say you hate minimalism. Let's say, you know, the Juno Diaz's and the Chuck Palahniuk's and these guys, like the Max Frisch's, you hate minimalist writing. Let's say you despise it because you like more rich textures and things like that. And you're a big fan of the thousand page Brandon Sanderson novels, which are awesome. I enjoy them. Um, and you hate them and you just know you hate them. You should still pick them up and read at least one of them and read it, not necessarily as a reader, but read as a writer, right? Take a minute to be exposed to an idea professionally as something else. Now, you'd be amazed, man. Like my, my novel took a serious, serious pause this year that I was supposed to be working on it. And you know what got me out of that? reading and not just reading, you know, stuff that I, I knew I would like, but reading other things that were like a little bit out there and expanding my reading horizons and taking the time and going, you know, I should read a book of poems right now. I enjoy poetry, but, but why are you reading a book of poems right now? Matt? Well, I, I need to read it because I need to expose myself to other stuff. Because as you do that, you start to pick things. I go, oh, I like that. Oh, that's good. No, I don't like that. And, and you start making those decisions, those judgments, you learn and appreciate techniques, you develop stuff in your brain. And you discover that your writing goes forward. So reading is writing. And when you're taking the time to do that reading, understand that. Now, bear in mind, I'm talking here about reading as a writer, not just reading, reading. Because, like, look, I do some fun reading. Um, and I do pick up some stuff from it. But that is very different from the reading I do as a writer. So there's there's a little bit of a distinction here. And I think sometimes you got to keep yourself honest. Which leads us to lesson number three. Treat it like work. So I think this burdens a lot of writers and creatives in general. I think we love what we do creatively and we don't want it to become a job because job is a dirty word. We don't want it to become a job. We don't want it to turn into work. So we, uh, we, we start just treating it like a hobby and, and, after school activity, something we enjoy, something that we love, but it's not work. And then we wonder why we've been on the same novel for like 20 years or why we're not making steps forward or man, I really want to publish, but I'm not able to publish. It's because if you're going to try to do this and, and publish something and all, then, then the reality is you're turning it into for however profitable it is, you are turning it into work and it is work and you need to treat it like work. You need to have time for it. And that's not just saying, hey, you need to have time for it and stop slacking off and get there and work. And this like weird Anglo-Saxon like work ethic of like, get out there and do it. But also you need to have it respected, right? Like if you treat it as a hobby, well, then other shit comes before your hobby. But if it's like work, if it is work, then it gets a higher order of precedence. That's probably the biggest part of this lesson I had to learn is to say, look, these are my hours that I'm writing. I'm very happy that you need things during those hours. And I'm still, by the way, trying to finalize this with myself. But, but you know, these are the hours that I write. I'm very happy that you have needs. And after that time or before that time, I'm super engaged to, to address those. But during this time, I am working. This is work. You know, and it needs to have that boundary respected as such. 
I think that's a big deal, man. I think people don't pay nearly enough attention to the fact that that sometimes you you treat a thing like a hobby or like a game or like something else, or it's a fun thing I do in my off time, instead of, you know, like work. You know, this is that whole concept of the working writer, right? Like, are you doing the work? Are you putting the work in? You know? And there's different ways to do this, and there's different parts that go into it. But, but you know... Treat the writing, ultimately there's a part of the writing, there's a part of any creative endeavor that's work and it needs to be treated like work. You can't just be like, oh yeah, no, it's all fun and games, because it's not. It's not. Anybody listening to me who's ever worked on any piece of writing for an extensive period of time or been in reviews or edits or anything knows that this is kind of crazy. It, it can be. It can be nuts. Right? How do we get around that? Well, we treat it like work. And... I'm going to try to transition to all these points, right? And when treating it like work just feels like being an assault mine, we need to remember lesson number four. Sometimes you have to walk away. So this was a lesson I had to learn this year about my novel. I started out this season going 52 weeks, and I'm going to work on a novel, and I'm going to see how close I get to finishing a novel. And several weeks in, I started running into problems, and then at some point, I needed to walk away. I was literally bashing my head, probably around January, I was bashing my head into a wall. And I could not get around it. And I couldn't write my way around it. And I just could I didn't know what I was doing. So I took some time off. I worked on some short stories. I worked on some short fiction. I worked on creative nonfiction. I was doing a lot in marketing. There was a lot going on. Um, and I just couldn't get around the thing in my novel. There was a problem in the structure of my novel. How I was structuring it and how the story was going and the plot. There was just something I couldn't wrap my brain around. So I walked away. Now, how long you walk away from something is, is going to be different for people and, and different for every particular circumstance. In my case, I walked away for several months from the novel, like like working on other projects, and, and eventually it clicked. Enough reading, enough writing, enough working. And in point of fact, the villain for my novel, uh, the antagonist, was written in a short story that I wrote during that time. I didn't realize that at the time, but I was writing him as a side character's kind of background noise almost in another short story, and I went, holy shit, that's my villain for this. The guy I'm describing right now is this dude. Okay, cool. If I hadn't walked away, I would never have gotten there. Right? When I was in the military, I used to fix airplanes. And that was something. Sometimes sometimes you are so close to a problem working on an airplane, you need to set the tools down and take a five-minute break. And then come back to it and hit it again. Like, sometimes you got to take a minute. You know, you can try to work through it, but, but effort doesn't necessarily mean it's going to get fixed. There is not a direct correlation between increased effort and better results. It's not necessarily that way. It's not a perfect correlation. I know you've been told it is, but it's not. Sometimes you just have to walk away. I'm glad I walked away from my novel for part of this year. I really am, like, because I've come back to it super rejuvenated and renewed and having worked on a lot of other things and with better knowledge. And now I feel like, yeah, now I'm probably embarking on a year of, of working this novel and trying to really grind this thing out. But I feel like we can do it now. Whereas before, I wasn't sure I could. So there you go. Sometimes you have to walk away. Lesson five is one I constantly struggle with. Um, and I constantly struggle with how to word it. But I think I figured it out now, at least for the time being. So lesson five, you are the instrument. And the reason I say that is look at a musician, look at a guitar player or anybody else. Um, I play taiko drums, right? Look at how I, I look at how the drums are cared for. 
they're taken care of, care of. They're they're kept safe. They're cared for. Maintenance is done on them. You know, we don't just throw them around the room. Like you know, handling is careful. And from a writing perspective, and honestly, from a life perspective, and and from an any creative perspective, this is just probably good universal advice. You are the instrument. So we're talking about that self-care thing. And again, this looks different to everybody. But this is why you need to take walks. This is why you can't beat yourself up all the time. This is why you need to watch a fun movie or an interesting show. This is why everything can't 100% be about the work of writing. Because you will go slowly fucking mad. This is it. Right? If you keep just grinding out the work. And grinding out the work. And grinding out the work. And grinding out the work. Then you will slowly... Over time, hate the work and and want to just be done with it because you have burned yourself out. We talk about self-care a whole lot, but we're bad at doing it. Talk about needing it and then in the same breath talk about grinding stuff out. Talk about that constant 20-mile march, that this, that, that. I don't know what march is best for you. I don't know what level of effort or how your process works. I don't know. That's your process. That's the point. But I know that you have to respect yourself as the instrument for getting that thing done. And you have to take care of that. Mentally, physically, emotionally, like you have to take care of that. I'm not saying body hack or do all that stuff. I'm saying, look, you know what you need. Do that. I'm not about to get into the business of trying to tell other people how to live their optimal life because it's a grift and it's bullshit. And if you heard me say that and that's what you do, then yeah, I attacked it. I don't care. The bottom line is you need to take care of yourself. Take that self-care time or you're going to hate the endeavor you're engaged in. I think that's it. Take that time. I'm learning that every year. More and more. Hell, I'm learning it every day more and more. You're the instrument it needs to be cared for. So care for it. There you go. There's five lessons. Make room to be creative. Reading is writing. Treat it like work. Sometimes you have to walk away. And you are the instrument. It's that simple. That's what we've got for this week. Next week, we're going to talk. I'm going to go into what I learned over 52 weeks and what actually happened and try to get a little more specific on all of that. And then we're going to take a break. And we'll be coming back in September, probably somewhere in there. I'll drop an announce thing for for season three of Confessions of a Working Writer and, and tell you where we're going. Might even talk about it a little bit next week. Who knows? But it's been fun. We're almost at the end of season two, so let's keep going. We got one more episode. The super grand finale where I reveal to you that I am an alien reptilian from a planet bent on world domination that I'm here and you listening to this podcast has been nothing but a way for me to conquer your brainwaves and take over the country. You're worried about that now, aren't you? Well, if it's going to be that or some other big reveal, like that I'm secretly Batman, it'll happen next week on the season finale of Confessions of a Working Writer. And until then, I'm Matt. Just a working writer. This has been my confession. I'll talk to you all next time.